All right. It is, uh, it is Easter Sunday, and we have been, uh, as a church, walking through resurrection stories. Resurrection stories, looking at all of the, uh, the resurrections that preceded Jesus Christ, but now we are here at the ultimate resurrection from the Gospel of John. We'll be looking at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, this is a big deal. I hope, I hope you recognize this is a really big deal. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we ask, like we hope that we can understand and, and really grasp the meaning this morning. That we might understand just what this means for us and for our lives. And we're going to do it by looking at the, the very first people who had to wrestle with the resurrection of Jesus and how did it change their lives? What did it look like for them to be uh, blown away by something that had never happened before and that changed eternity for them? And so uh, we're looking at the whole, the whole account of John, looking at different, different people as they come and understand this gospel reality, but with, with three things in mind. All right, we need to understand that the resurrection is first, is real. It is real. If it is not real, it is meaningless. We're going to find that the resurrection, it is, it is life for us. That his life, his resurrection life, is our life. And finally, that this is a deeply personal thing. That this cannot be far off from us. It cannot just be something we, we say, yes, uh, maybe, it, maybe it's true. No. If this is true, it is personal. And has to do with our relationship with this resurrected one. So with that, uh, we're going to look at the resurrection, that we might have a real, living, personal relationship with a real, living, personal Jesus. Amen? All right. So let's look at John 20 this morning. Uh, it'll be on the screen. And let us look at it. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running all, uh, together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping in, to look, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in its place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had laid, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? 
Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have yet, not yet ascended to the Father to go to my brothers. And so, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. When he said this, he breathed upon them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. For if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, on his hands the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. He said to Thomas, Put your fingers here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you believing may have life in his name. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for this account. And Father, we ask that you might, by your Spirit, open uh, the eyes of our hearts to, to believe it and to understand it and to cherish all that is here. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his death and we even more thank you for his resurrection. Father, would his life be our life? Would this reality be real truth for us? And would we know Christ as the resurrected one, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So first... We're going to look at this story and see that this resurrection is real. If it is not real, it is meaningless. And before we start that, I have to remind you, okay, what are we dealing with? We're dealing with history. This is 2,000 years ago. And we must approach this as historians, good detectives, investigators. Now, I've talked with many of you, and... Uh, you pride yourself on being a scientist. A scientist. Now, I, I am one with the scientist nerds. Uh, we love, you know, the love of biochemistry and microbiology. Like, that's, that's good stuff. Uh, all right. Yes. There's this cherish of, of proof and critical thinking and testing and evidence. But I'm going to tweak it a little bit. Because 
Scientists, no matter how hard they try, they cannot reproduce a miracle. All right. And so we, we recognize, okay, it's, maybe that's just the, the wrong way of phrasing it. All right, just like if you're trying to taste your, your Easter bunny, you've gotten that basket this morning, all right, you don't put it up to your ear. All right, it's the wrong tool. So yes, yes, I want you to be critical. I want you to, be, to look at the evidence, but it's not so much a science. It's a, it's a historian, a detective. There's police work. There's a missing person. What do we do with that? All right? And so today we're going to start by looking at the, the evidence here and try to piece together the story. What really happened? What makes the most sense? Does the evidence point to Jesus is resurrected or not? All right. So let's start with the, the hard evidence first. The empty tomb. There is an empty tomb that we have to deal with, that you have to deal with. Why is it empty? On that first day, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. She came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have put him. All right. Throughout history, that has been... uh, that has always been the, the story that, that has been unchallenged. This tomb was empty. We must somehow account for that. And it wasn't empty because the believers expected it to be. It's, no, they are, they are devastated by this. They have lost Jesus. They have lost their Savior. No one's expecting this tomb to be empty, and yet here it is. All right. So where did he go? Well, we have more evidence here. We have the contents of this tomb. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. All right, you can tell this is a real story because, you know, he had to say that he won the race on the way there. This is the author saying this. So um, (laughs) if anyone is telling a real story, they always put that detail in. Uh, He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus. It was lying in its place, folded, separate from the linens. All right. All right, so this is more evidence. What, is, what are we talking about here? We are talking about uh, the ancient practice of how, what they would do with a dead body. And they would wrap it with strips of linen and put a cloth over the face. And, all right, kind of like a mummy. That sort of idea. Now, as we're, as we're wrestling with the possibilities here, if you were stealing a dead body, would you unwrap it first? <laughs> All right, this is, you, know, you, you maybe you have seen a body before. All right, this is different. This is ancient. This is a body that's been laying in a grave outside of the Jerusalem heat in spring. Like, this is not good. All right. If you were trying to steal this body, the, the first priority would not be to unwrap it and fold up the cloths. All right. You, do you understand why? All right. Good. All right. So uh, unlikely and strange. All right. But it could be, okay, uh, maybe this man who hung on the cross was stabbed in his side, confirmed dead, 
was handled by people who probably would have recognized if he was alive, uh, but wrapped him up, put him in a tomb for three days. But he revived himself. And he unwound the, the linen and folded up his face cloth and then ripped open the tomb and ran off. All right. Also, uh, seemingly unlikely. And this is a man who is presumed dead for him to, to revive and to, to put the extra effort here. Uh, you're probably just trying to live, not folding up your, your linens and, and tidying up the place. All right, all right. So uh, we have, we have a, a missing a missing one who claimed to resurrect from the dead and an empty tomb. All right, so that's the hard evidence. So we'll start with the witnesses now. You have to look at the witnesses. And the first to tell the tale is Mary. Now, if you chose for yourself a good witness and you're trying to just tell a story, you would not choose Mary. She's a woman. And she's a woman who'd been... Uh, Seven demons have been cast out of her. All right. This is not your great character witness. So why do you choose Mary? Because Mary was the one who was chosen. She was the first one who saw it. You just have to go with it. And what is she doing now? This is a woman who is utterly devastated. Now she's rejoicing. Who, who longed for her Savior. And now she is saying that she, she was clinging to him. She touched him. She was with him. All right, then we have the disciples. There's anyone to benefit from the, the resurrection of Jesus. It's the disciples. Because then they get to be the heroes. They get to be the ones who are right. But what does their story look like? On the evening of the first day of the week, the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. All right. If you want to paint yourself as a hero, you generally don't put yourself cowering in a locked room as you fail to believe what your Savior had been telling you from day one. That he would die and be resurrected. But here they are. This is their witness. It's not glamorous, but it appears to be true. And they claim to once again to have touched and seeing the Savior resurrected, living before them. Then we have Thomas. All right, so we, we might not be able to be a scientist to, re, to look at this, but we have our resident scientist there. And unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. All right, we have an evidentialist right, right here vicariously for us, doing the work. And it's a good, it's a good test. I, I want to see him. And I want to touch him. And I want to touch the marks and prove that this is Jesus. And what does he do? He does just that. He puts his fingers in the holes. He, he touches the side. And what is he is more than satisfied, my Lord and my God. Even the skeptic who will not believe he is calling out that this is the resurrected Jesus, his Lord, and not just Lord, but God. 
1 Corinthians 15.3. For what I received, I pass on to you of first importance, that Christ died on, for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at once, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to, appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last, he appeared also to me, Paul, as one untimely born. All right. This is a lot of eyewitness accounts. 500 people. We have to say, how, how do 500 people all have the same hallucination? All of these accounts are seeing Jesus resurrected. What do we do with that? What do you do with that? How do we tell this story? What makes the most sense? All right, but let's keep going. Because eyewitnesses, you know, they could all just be idiots. And so we, what do we do? We, uh, we test that and we say, okay, is there corroboration? Are they, are they all saying the same thing? And there are, you, know, you, you, tell, you tell if they're saying unusual things you wouldn't expect people to say, and they're all saying it, uh, that's good evidence these are good eyewitnesses. All right. Jewish people would have had stereotypical ways of viewing someone who resurrected from the dead. All right. Not that they had great categories for that, because they didn't have categories for that, but they at least had, okay, if, if it happens, this is how I expect it to be. All right, first, it's a person who is dead, is revived, and comes back exactly as they were. All right. They're just, they're, their life is restored back to their body, and they're a normal person. All right. We saw some of those resurrection stories already. All right. Or there are ghosts. They're a spirit. They are intangible. They are floating. They are otherworldly. We kind of have those same categories too. All right. But what do they end up saying about this Jesus? And it's, it's all the same. All right. He was not a spirit. He was not a ghost. Notice that the importance, they, they're, they're touching him. Mary's clinging to him. They're feeling the, the wound on his side. He's really there. He, he eats. He stands among them. And he is Jesus in bodily form. So we say, okay, he, he's not this kind of ghost. But then, he also doesn't just seem to be this regular person either. That like, oh, yeah, he was dead, but no, we were wrong. He's, no, it's something other, completely, entirely different. Because every time, it's like, they don't at first recognize him. Which is strange. It's almost like, have you ever seen old photographs of your parents? And you have to look really closely and be like, oh. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> Sorry, it's insulting to all you parents out there. It's like, you had hair and like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, eyes are kind of the same. Uh, look how beautiful you are. Um, that kind of stuff. All right, it's like that. Because it's not the same picture. It's, it's them in their glory, in their perfection, ideal. And it's like that with Jesus. That it's him, but he looks different. And they have, to, they have to look closer and to see him. And there's also this strange detail that they keep talking about. Like, the room was locked. And yet here he is. And they're touching him. 
and, and he disappears. And All right, what are we seeing? We're seeing someone who is completely other category. And in Scripture, we understand that that is the glory, the glorious new man, the resurrected man, that this is a humanity from a whole different realm, from the new heavens and new earth, breaking into this reality. And that's what Jesus claimed to be. And that is what all the witnesses, before that theology was formed, they're all seeing this and, and saying it. And even though it sounds crazy, that is how all of them tell the story. Why would they all make this up and tell it in a way that sounds so unlikely and untrue unless something amazing happened that this is just how they told it because this is how they saw it? Now, there's one last thing. As a good historian, you have to explain the history. You have to actually say, like, what? you have to piece the pieces together so it makes sense that this is what happened. And we see things that happened, like a mourning, devastated woman is now jumping for joy. Disciples who were cowards and fearful, suddenly they're going out in against all odds, proclaiming with great power and with great joy that they, they know eternal life and that they have, they have seen the resurrected one. So much so that they would be persecuted and, and killed even for that claim. Does it make sense that those people would be have this conspiracy? What do they gain from it? Why would you want to be martyred for a lie that you invented and destroyed for it? What is to be gained? How do you explain that all of a sudden this guy, who is a total skeptic, is now proclaiming that this man before him is God? Right. These are good Jews. These are really good Jewish people who know that there is but one God and you do not worship a man. And yet now there are countless Jewish people going throughout the world at this time proclaiming that this is God and that people ought to worship him. How do you explain that? How do you explain that, that crazy change? Right. As we look at the evidence, I think it takes way too much faith to say that this was merely a conspiracy or that Jesus, that everyone was deceived no, I think the evidence says something happened here. That the only thing that can explain all of this is that they saw Jesus. A lot of people saw a resurrected Jesus and it changed everything for them. Now what? What do you think? What do you believe? How do you tell the story? You must account for this, this evidence and do you believe in the resurrected Jesus? All right. So you believe, who cares? Who cares? If the resurrection is real, that means life. That means life. If this person resurrected from the dead, it at least means the possibility of life after death. If one person did it, maybe it's possible. And maybe that's possible for you. 
Is there really life after death? Is there something beyond this life? Is there a means by which you can attain it? All right, that is a huge question, and that changes everything. Maybe there is life in him. Verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. All right, it, it help, it's helpful to also recognize this is a guy who is also known to doing like miracle after miracle and resurrecting people from the dead. So it's, it's not just some guy. This is, this is an important person who made a lot of claims. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. All right, that's the important part. That by believing you may have life in his name. This is not just some story that's out there. It's saying, no, if, if he's alive, then maybe you can be alive too. And notice why, how it, the means by, that you, by believing, may have life in his name. How do you get this life, this resurrection life from Jesus Christ? It is not by working. It is not by doing. It is not by trying your hardest or being your best self or just being good when you, you know, do what you try hard and I, I do a pretty good job. That's not how you do it. That is not how you do it. And if that was the story here, if the story of the resurrection was, hey, Jesus did it and you can do it too, then that is utter condemnation for all of us. Because you are not doing the Jesus stuff. I am not doing Jesus stuff. I am not as good as Jesus. You are not as good as Jesus. None of us are. All right. So I ask you, are, are you just laying down everything that you value and cherish for the sake of other people every, every possible second that you can? Do you do all things not considering yourself, but no, considering the glory of God and his praises? Every time. Are you just like desperate to love other people and to, to die for them? And, and not just say it, but you do it. You do it again and again and again. Every time you can. Or other, other Jesus stuff here. Uh, do you... Do you ever break the commandments? you ever break them? No, no, you've never, I never do it. I never break the commandments. I've never lusted. I've never lied. I've never deceived. I've never judged. I've never condemned. I've never stolen. I've never even wanted to steal. I've never wanted something that someone else has, have, has had that I didn't have. All right, that's the standard. And there's things that I have, and I've seen them, and I've recognized people want them, and so I give them to them. Right, all right. All right, right. one step further. I would never do something I condemn in someone else, and I never have. Who wants to be the first to say that? Like, oh yeah, yeah, I've, I've never held someone accountable for something that I've done myself. I've never been a hypocrite. All right, that is the standard. That is Jesus in his goodness and his perfection. You will never be good enough. You will never work hard enough. You will never do your best enough to be truly good, righteous, holy, perfect. Unless you can answer yes to all of those questions and more, you are not earning for yourself life. 
and you never will. And that is where we rejoice this day because Jesus' resurrection life is our life. Not by working, but by just believing. If it is real and you want it, Jesus says, here, take my resurrection life, it can be yours. I give you my glorious life. I give you this life that I have earned. You can have it for free by grace. Romans 3.20 For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now, but now a righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear testament to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Where is your life? Where are you seeking life? Are you looking for eternal life that is in Christ? Are you looking to receive it? Or are you trying to build life for all eternity? There's only one way to get life. It is being gifted it by grace, by this Jesus, who alone has earned it and proved that he had it in his resurrection. All right. Now, for some of you, that, that's, that's your first decision. You need to make that decision. You need to ask for it. But if you already have asked for Jesus for life, uh, then his life is now your life. And it's not just for eternity. That's, that's true right here and right now. You now have a new life and you are, you're invited into a new way of living. Colossians 3.1 If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. If you have died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is in your life, sorry, sorry, this is important. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Now this resurrection life, it's not just your insurance for death. What is it? It is your life to be lived right now. It is a new way of life. It is a new means of attaining life to be received by faith and by grace. To die to who you used to be and all the ways you used to seek life and to keep seeking it through Jesus. Walking the path he walked. Dying to all of the sin that we carried before us. Are you, moment by moment, seeking life in Jesus Christ? Are you receiving life from him? Are you living his life or, or yours? Every moment, every second, we have those choices to either find life in faith in Christ or to pursue a life that is still dead in the grave. There is life in Jesus Christ. Life now and life for eternity.
that glorious life is ours and can be ours by faith, by believing. All right. All right, so resurrection is real. The resurrection is life. And the resurrection is deeply, deeply personal. And this is the one that's been convicting to me. Uh, If we have a real living Savior, we can have a real personal relationship with him. And so we can't just be historians and detectives. We can't just be these, I don't know, explorers looking for our holy grail so that we can live forever. No, we are these people who, who have personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's where I'm convicted by Mary in this passage. Because a lot of people are devastated by the death of Jesus in this passage. For disciples, they, they've invested their life and everything has fallen apart. Or they thought they had the kingdom and they're devastated that, oh, the, the kingdom was lost and we thought we were going to win. But what is it for Mary? For Mary, she has lost the one that she loves. This one that she was her Lord and her Savior. She is devastated by losing Jesus. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said, they have taken my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. She's even devastated by not being with the body of Jesus. It's a a very different way of, of thinking about it. And I realize that sometimes I... I recognize in my heart of hearts, I would be okay with Jesus dying for my sins and offering me eternal life and staying dead. Because I, I would not be devastated by not having Jesus. I'd be devastated by not having life, and I could picture eternity without him. And I think that's often how we relate to Jesus. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Right, what is it? Between the lines there, she just like grabs on and will not let go. That she was devastated by the loss of Jesus, her Lord, her love. And she will not let him go. And her life Her life was resurrected with Jesus because Jesus was her life. Now we speak of of to those who mourn and we try to offer them hope and we say, I mean, rightfully so, that there is life after death and that, yeah, if they are in Christ, you will see them again and the, the barrier of death will be removed and joy will be restored. Now, is the resurrection like that for Jesus? That we are celebrating that, oh, the one that we love, our Lord, our Savior, who died in our place, he, he isn't dead, he's alive. And that, gets, that means that I get to be in personal relationship with him for all eternity. And right here and right now. I love the resurrection because I love Jesus and want to be in his presence. And that's what Jesus tells Mary. He says, don't cling to me because 
I'm going to be so united to you by my Holy Spirit, you will never have a second away from me. That you will be in my presence by my Spirit, day in and day out forever. That is life. That is joy. That is what it means to to know the power of the resurrection. That our Savior is with us. That he's giving us life and that we have life in relationship with him. To know the God that would die for us and be resurrected to give us his life. The resurrection is real. The resurrection has life. And the resurrection gives us this personal relationship with a real living Savior. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we praise you this morning. We praise you for you have done what we could never do. You have brought life out of death. You have brought sinners into right relationship with you. You have restored our our first love, our great delight, our living Lord and Savior, the one alone who can satisfy, who can bring contentment and joy, even in the face of death and destruction and, and every suffering. Father, thank you for the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you that our Lord and Savior is alive and that he is giving us eternal life that we may enjoy him for all eternity. Father, would we be a people that are overflowing with abundant joy for we have our great joy, Jesus. We pray this in his name.